Imagine a reality in which almost every bit of information you consume is handpicked, edited, and abridged for your consumption. Information is given to you not because it's necessarily true or factual, but because chances are you'll click, watch, read, like, or repost because, well, you already agreed with the headline before you even read the story. Now imagine those who are feeding you this information. With every click, watch, share, or engagement you give to the stories they fed you, there's money to be made. So what do they do? The same thing almost any human being would do. They seek to keep you constantly engaged and addicted to their platforms by catering the content you consume to your preferences, preconceived ideas, political leanings, likes, and dislikes. Can you imagine a world such as this? The scary thing is, you don't have to. This is the reality you actually live in. Recently, conscientious defectors from big tech companies have claimed that the manipulation of human behavior for profit is actually coded into these companies with horrifying precision. Infinite scrolling and push notifications keep users constantly engaged. Personalized recommendations use data not just to predict, but also to influence our actions. And as a result, this has turned users of search engines, social media platforms, and online news services into easy prey for advertisers and propagandists. But at what cost? Experts and clinical researchers tell us that excessive consumption of online media and content can distort our view of ourselves, our relationships, our political and ideological opponents, and our broader reality. They also tell us that human willpower can't be expected to compete with some of the most sophisticated AI systems on the planet that have been designed to keep us addicted and engaged to these platforms no matter how hard we try to limit our consumption. As followers of Jesus, we hold to the idea that truth is absolute. It doesn't change based on our preferences or proclivities. But how do we find truth when it's constantly being manipulated? Is there a way to develop a healthy relationship with these technologies? How can we make sure we're actually understanding these issues and not just blindly consuming the information we're being fed because it tells us what we want to hear? And do we all just need to throw our phones in the lake, blow up our TVs, and live off the grid? Eh, maybe? Everybody to the Beards and Bible podcast. I'm here with my co-host Gabe Rutledge. Gabe, how you doing this morning, buddy? I'm doing all right. Got a strong cup of coffee, ready to talk about uh, some social dilemmas in our world. Yes. How strong is your strong cup of coffee? Because I bet my cup of coffee is stronger than yours. Well, my mom is in town right now, and she's. Whenever my mom comes to town, she's the one in charge of setting up the coffee maker, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I, th- I think her her addiction to to caffeine is a whole other level than what we all are used to in our household. Mm. So when she sets it up, it's like the first five minutes of it brewing is like it's just like a syrup. It's like molasses boiling oh, wow. in there. Yeah, it's like intense. So see, it's, uh, it's very strong. My cup of coffee is really strong this morning because I'm. I know we we don't do ads on beers and Bible podcasts, but if we did do ads, I would totally endorse Black Rifle Coffee because. Mm. I would totally want them to give me free coffee. And someone gave me a bag of their blackout coffee. And it's like super, super, super dark. 
and my wife really? can't stand it. So <clears throat> fortunately for me, um, I just made a cup for myself this morning and I'll make another pot when she wakes up. But it's yeah, that's a company dark. that's really, uh, taken a lot of, um, I, I guess a lot of, a lot of social media influencers by storm. Like they seem mm-hmm. to be very quickly you're, growing. You're, you're just diving right into it with this whole social media thing, huh? Oh no! I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but You're no. Like, they, yeah, enough. Enough talk about coffee. Let's get right into. But it. I see. I see a lot of them on on social media. Like they're they they know where to market their product, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm yet to try Black Rifle Company or Coffee Company. Well, next time but, you come over here, I'll get you a I'll get you a K cup. Are you sure you didn't try it when you guys came up uh, last summer and you came to church? And I have a Keurig in my office with Black Rifle coffee pods. It's possible. It's possible. You guys yeah, were I, late. You guys were late to church service that day. I remember, and you had to probably we, get some of the regular yeah. coffee. Well, if I remember, I think we I think we slept in the woods the night before. You did, but that's not really an excuse. Or no, we I think we did the Airbnb the night before that. But then, yeah. So yeah. no, we usually keep it real with um some good old Folgers. You know, it's laced with like Dude. all kinds of like arsenic and all kinds of stuff. You know, they spray on the trees. And, Best part of waking up, man. Yeah, is, ar- yeah. is arsenic in your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. That is good stuff. Well, how's your life been the past uh, few weeks? It's been good. Um, just getting back in the groove, and and uh, it's you know teaching full time, obviously. But then um, we're getting ready and geared up because uh, Sukkot, aka the Feast of Tabernacles, starts tonight. Yeah. So, what our congregation has done the past four years is we do a week long camping get up. You know, at like basically. Um, a big conference that's in a big field and uh, you know we all just whoever is able we camp out there literally in tents or campers and that's awesome um, one of our elders has a has an eight acre field and we set up the congregational suka which is like a kind of looks like a manger is the best way to describe it and it's a really big you know thing and then we have we decorate it and, and we have a fire out front of it and every night Very we cool. do like music and, and bible studies and stuff and everyone just camps there around the suka so we that's do that for awesome, a week. Man. So yeah, that's really uh, so for those who aren't familiar with that feast, that feast is to commemorate basically the time in which the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it would have been like a, a harvest festival. Um, so we're we're instructed. You know, you create this sukkah. It's like a little tabernacle, and it has to be really temporal. So the roof of it, you have to be able to see the stars at night. And feel raindrops if it were to rain. It has to have only three walls, so you're completely open to the elements. You're completely open to, you know, the cold, the wind, the rain, the sun. It's supposed to give you a little bit of shade, but you know, and you just eat your meals in the sukkah and you play music, you pray in the sukkah, and um, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to it's supposed to teach us about the temporal nature of life, but also just resting and God's protection and pro- providence over our lives. Hmm. Um, so That's it's. Really cool. um, yeah, it's kind of like an object lesson, but it's also s- supposed to point us forward in expectation of his kingdom when he will tabernacle with us and we will kind of, you know, once again be with him um, on earth. And, you know, the sukkah is supposed to kind of remind us of our bodies, like how temporal our bodies are and mm-hmm. how we're really open to all these elements under his protection. And so there's a lot of lessons. That, and then we're supposed to get these yeah. four species and gather these four species of plants Um and use them to teach us lessons as well. So it's always very tangible and always very visible. And um, but it's neat. It's a it's a neat, neat process. Awesome, and it's traditionally, um, 
um, probably probably more accurately the time of year when Jesus would have been born during during the Feast of Tabernacles this time of year. Mean- so we also we also weave that into it that that we we actually mm-hmm. read the birth story. Sometimes we sing um, carols during this time because uh, this is traditionally when when um, you know Jesus would have been born. Interesting. I always thought he was born on December 25th. I thought that was in the Bible. <laughs> that's what it says, actually. Yeah. So, well, that's pretty cool, man. Awesome, yeah. awesome. So I'm busy. Yeah, sounds like it. Our family is also a little bit busy. We, uh, for those of listeners that do not know, we welcomed in a new baby into our family uh, last week. And uh, Judah David is now home and doing well. And... Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons why uh, finding time to record a podcast has been a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yes, yeah. just, just a new hey, baby. Congratulations! Now, Thanks, man. That's really awesome. How would how would Doctor Rutland pronounce his middle name? Doctor Rutland was the president of the college that uh, Gabe and I graduated from, and for whatever reason, he says the name David, David, <laughs> David, Judah, David. And there's no rhyme or reason for why he would pronounce this as David. It's like just on that one word he he no, slips he says, into Sean says, Connery. <laughs> David. He says Isaiah. Oh, interesting. Okay. He says Isaiah. And then another word he says really weird is George. Hmm. Have you heard of it? He no. says George. George. Huh. Yeah. Now, Dr. Mark Rutland, for those of you who don't know, phenomenal speaker, writer, but he, um, I guess he, he was a missionary in Africa for a while before he went into um, pastoral ministry here in the States. And I, I think his time in Africa influenced like his, <laughs> his use of the English language. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is probably more proper English than probably. what we speak in the United States. I don't States. know, but it was always so funny. We'd be sitting in chapel and he would be like, and King David. We'd be like, who, who is King David? So, anyway. Uh, good times. Good times. Well, we are in this episode going over a topic I think that affects every single one of us, even if we are not online, and that is the uh, documentary film, The Social Dilemma, that um, I got a chance to watch not too long ago, and um, as soon as I watched it, I knew that, man, this is such a relevant topic, and uh, reached out to Gabe and, and asked if he would watch it. And you got a chance to watch it last night. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, it's an investigative documentary. And basically what the documentary is, is it um, interviews people from big tech companies like Facebook, Google, um, a couple other places. And basically these guys are whistleblowers. So they're they're basically conscientious uh defectors that's the term it uses and they basically have talked about how big tech companies are providing um search engines networks instant information all this stuff that's basically candy that kind of lures us in to take a bite Mm -hmm. so so different things designed within the coding of these things to keep people addicted and once people are addicted and kind of coming back for more um then that's when that makes people easy prey to fake news, to propaganda, to ads. 
and it, it it's sobering when you actually see somebody who works for Facebook or used to work for Facebook talk about how they designed Facebook to basically keep you addicted and everybody knew it and they didn't care how much time a user spent on Facebook. The whole point of the platform was we want to get people clicking as much as possible. And it, I mean, you sit and watched it and man, I don't know about you, Gabe, but when I was watching it, man, I, I just felt kind of yucky. Like I just felt like I was mm. watching, you know, somebody basically admit to how they stole from me. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, and then somewhat be completely complicit with it. Like I, I had that, you know, you watch food Inc and, and you watch, um, these other, this, you know, very, uh, what are they social, social documentaries where, you know, they, they expose a great, you know, misdeed or injustice in your, in your world and your culture. And you kind of have that, like, um, I don't know, that documentary hangover, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, yeah. I would never go to McDonald's ever again. And then like, and then the next day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think, um, I had that after this and mm-hmm. it was oddly, um, okay with me. I was like, well, you know, and I'm sitting there just, just 10 minutes ago, um, you know, at my, at my coffee maker and what pops up are like Facebook notifications. And I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and I think, and it goes into that and it's like, it talks about your habits. It learns the, your, these algorithms and learn your daily habits and your routines. And when is the best time to push a notification forward? When are you most likely to actually open your phone and, and look at it? And it knows that, you know, at, at a certain time, I'm going to sit down with a cup of coffee and, and I'm going to make every effort to open my Bible. But instead, because it knows that I'm, st- I stopped moving throughout my house that there's a yeah. pretty good chance I have my phone right next to me and I'm drinking coffee or whatever. What, what, was any of that surprising though? I mean, we, we talked about in episode <laughs> eight. Um, how social media can be addicting. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- was that yeah. part of this surprising? I mean, to me it wasn't. I, I was watching it and going, well, yeah, no joke. Like, we, we all know that social media is exceptionally addicting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think where I was most surprised is how, you know, it really exposed the specifics of how tech companies have tried to keep people addicted so that ads could make money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the incentive for why it, it is that they're trying to keep people addicted, it's not just, you know, hey, let's get everybody on the platform. So let's get them on the platform so we can make money. Well, I think it goes back, you know, First Timothy 6, Paul says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Mm. And by craving it, some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Um, you know, I think, that rings true. I think in the documentary, they said something that was really profound. And I liked this and I wrote it down. If you're not paying for the product, then you more than likely yes, are the you product. Are the product. Golly, that sent chills up and my I was, spine. Yeah. When I, when I, when I, when I, when I, I was like, oh, there. And the, it goes back to the saying, apart from the grace of God, there is nothing free in this world. There yeah. really isn't. And unless it's an extension through, you know, someone acting as an extension of the grace of God. They may, they may give out of their heart something free and not expect anything in return. But other than that, man, it's like people are just out to make a buck and make a name for themselves. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the thing, too, that was, I think, the most fascinating part of it is it was talking about how the news that we get on social media platform is fed to us most often, not because... It's necessarily true, but because they, uh, there's algorithms and AI systems on Facebook or on Twitter or even on Google 
that have studied our online activity. And mm-hmm. so news stories are fed to us, not on the basis of whether or not like, oh, this is relevant because, you know, this is a true news story. They're fed to us on the basis of, well, you've read this and you've liked this mm-hmm. and you fit this profile of somebody that would agree with this. So we're going to feed you these news stories that kind of already agree with you're already going to agree with basically because we know yeah. you're going to click this and we want you to click it because when you click it, you're going to see an ad. And when you see an ad, then we get money. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it creates an, like this nonstop feedback loop, this echo chamber of the things that you want to see, the things you want to hear, you want to agree right. with. Um, it's going to recommend groups that you should be a part of that all agree with you as well. Um, you know, if it's flat earth, it's like, <laughs> if you're if you're if you're looking into flat earth stuff and you're like clicking on these articles and reading them, that algorithm is learning about you yeah. and realizing that you hover over this picture, you hover over this video, you clicked on that YouTube video, you listen to this podcast, and all these things are synchronizing with each other. And so, yeah, it's going to start recommending these groups to you. You should be a part of this group. And what do you do? You join the group. And then there's more people who are doing the same exact thing, and that creates like the ultimate feedback loop, ultimate echo chamber for you. And, um, and then you get to this point and that's what the documentary was saying. You get this point where not only do you believe that the earth is flat, this is just an example. Okay. Not only do you believe that the earth Are is you a flat earther? I, <laughs> I keep bringing that up. Don't I? You, you do. I think you're trying to play your cards. Yeah. Yeah. Not only do you believe that the earth is flat, but you think that anyone that doesn't believe the earth is flat is like a, a shill of the deep state and, and they're mm-hmm. an idiot and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're deceived or they're trying to deceive other people. They're part of this great deception and it's. It's so bizarre, and, and then you lash out in anger over someone who doesn't have that point of view, right. and that's that's the end result of these these tribal like echo chambers that we create for ourselves. Well, and it was saying too, one of the things about it is if somebody that's online is basically getting fed the information that they're going to agree with because again, algorithms, AI systems study their activity, and everything they see basically is, well, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. And then they come across an update or a tweet or a Facebook status of someone that they disagree with. Mm -hmm. It's going to cause them to lose their mind because they're like, are you not seeing the same things I'm seeing? And the truth is that other person is not seeing the same things you're seeing because they're seeing what the AI systems want them to see. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be just as polarized in the opposite direction as you are because they're in their own echo chamber. Yeah. And they were talking about that in the documentary, how America is the most polarized it's ever been. Maybe since the civil war, I I think they mentioned that, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. it showed these, these graphs, you know, and how we're all drifting apart from one another and equally polarized in equal sizes. We are further polarizing and you'll see posts like this sometimes from people. If you vote for fill in the blank, just just delete just me as a friend. Yeah. 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 And it's like, wow, we've come to that. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Gabe and I were talking a bit last night about this and um, the most recent presidential debate that happened a few nights ago, um, I think just gives evidence to just how, mm-hmm. how far we've drifted away from the, um, the yeah. discipline of civil discourse um, and the discipline of being able to have truthful, honest conversation with someone that we disagree with. Um, and so I'm not, you know, obviously going to get on here and say which particular participant in that debate I thought lost their cool more than the other one. But I, I think anybody that watched it, it's pretty obvious that, um, you know, you have two dudes shouting at each other for 90 minutes mm-hmm. and, and 
the real losers, I think, of the debate were, were the American people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that debate, and I watched it just on the edge of the couch, um, <laughs> just thinking the whole time, man, I, you know, I don't smoke, but I really need a cigarette <laughs> right now. <laughs> but it, it just epitomized the the state of our nation politically, you know, and socially. Yeah. Um, it just that we are just shouting each other down and not having meaningful, productive conversations that we're, we're not letting people finish their sentences digitally speaking or socially speaking. Absolutely. We don't and have to though, socially speaking. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, it's yeah. Long, long gone are the days where you would sit out front of a, of a general store or a convenience store, you know, and it's like this old timers sit there and they have these intense debates of you know, you go to, you go to your country restaurant early in the morning and you see these old guys sitting there and they may raise their voices and stuff. But they come back the next morning, they come back the next morning, they come back the next morning, and that's the, they have this dialogue, and it's like they just, they continue, and they, they have this mutual respect for each other because maybe they went to high school together or whatever, but you know that restaurant I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, here at Cannon County, it's Parsley's, yeah. We've got oh, yeah. One, yeah. It's a gas station, but they also have a hot, hot grill that is the best biscuits you could ever possibly imagine. But, uh, but, but, but honestly, I, I think, like you were saying, I mean, that that's a discipline that's even... Um, even in those old country stores now, I mean, I'm just even thinking of Parsley as you saying that, like that's turned into its own echo chamber because all those guys mm-hmm. are from the same area and from the same demographic. And so they're all being fed the same news as well. Yeah, that's true. And so I don't even think that you don't, you don't really even have to be on social media for this phenomenon to happen. You just have to have one particular news network that you enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So before we, we hopped on this morning, uh, the big news story, if you've not heard it yet, is that President Trump has tested positive for COVID-19. And so... Um, wait, wait, it, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you, you mean Kenneth Copeland did not successfully blow COVID <laughs> he away? He didn't. I hoped he would. Surely it would have kicked in by now. Blow the breath of God. <laughs> no, he, he didn't successfully blow it away, although I hoped he would. <sighs> So, but the the fascinating thing and the frustrating thing about this is, so the story breaks. I tell Gabe this morning when we log on, Gabe pulls up his news and CNN reports that this is, what what was the phrase? The worst health crisis in any sitting president in U.S. history? Yes. Yeah. And then he pulls up Fox News and (laughs) Fox News says, president and first lady are doing fine. Yeah, it's like it's, <laughs> one of you is wrong. Yeah, it's like we we look at this and we go, okay, so where is the truth? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's got to be somewhere in the in between that. I mean, it can't be that they're just doing completely fine. I mean, obviously, if you got COVID nineteen, you you know, hopefully you don't have any symptoms. Hopefully, your cases are mild, but you still have a virus. Mm-hmm. And then to say this is the worst health crisis for any sitting U.S. president in all of American history. Okay. So President Reagan had an assassination attempt and he had to go into emergency surgery to remove a bullet that barely missed his lung. You don't think that was the worst health crisis for any sitting U.S. president? I mean, seriously? So it seems like you didn't have to be on social media to see this. We, we get in these echo chambers with the news sources that we consume and the reason that these news sources feed us the information and the way in which they feed us the information is they know that we are going to agree with them. And that's what we want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Here's one. Uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, 
uh, once delivered an 84-minute speech after getting shot in the chest. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was shot while campaigning for a third presidential term with the Progressive Party. The assassination's bullet was slowed by the folded-up speech in glasses case in his breast pocket. But he was determined to deliver the speech with the bullet in his chest anyway. So he still kept going. That's a man right there. I just like long gone are the days when somebody gets shot and they're just like, <laughs> I shall continue the speech. He's like, one mere, a mosquito. <laughs> one mere bullet shall not stop me from delivering the speech to the American people. Yeah. 84 um, minutes though. I mean like even, even 10 minutes, you're still like punk rock. You know what I'm saying? But 84 minutes, the dude went on. He was just do like, you think, do you think he was like bleeding profusely? And everybody on the front row was just like, oh, like passing out, you know, like vomiting That's in the awesome. corner. And he's just keeping going and there's just blood spewing from his, yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Well, it, it all goes back in this, the the essence of all of the evil behind this, I feel like, is is that the, the social media platforms is talking about in this um, documentary are all geared towards and engineered towards robbing us of our most precious commodity that we've ever been given and we can possibly give back, and that is our time. And yeah. these things, they talk, at the, they talk at the beginning about this, how they are designed for one sole purpose, to keep you engaged and to keep you going with this motion with your thumb and thumbing up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's their whole, how do we keep them doing that? And, and then advertisers come along and are like, okay, I need to sell this product and they and they look at the algorithm they look at the profile and that's what they said in the um documentary which was really interesting they create an avatar a digital voodoo doll of you of wow. Gabe Rutledge there is a there is a voodoo doll version of me and they know that they're creating this profile of me and the more information that they can get about my habits the the you know it's like putting putting more detail on this avatar of myself and then mm-hmm. a, an, an advertiser comes along and they're like, hey, we have this product. And Black then this, coffee. yeah, this social media platform is like, mm-hmm. oh, we got the perfect guy that we can market this to because we know we've yep. created this avatar of him. And um, I mean, it, it, it's just happened to me. Like um, my, my boys uh, love outdoors, love camping and survival kind of stuff. And, and I do too. And I love kayaking and camping and stuff. And so naturally we, we started watching these shows on, on YouTube. Um, and you know, probably every other night we'll watch an episode of a different, of a different guy that, that puts out something on YouTube. And if you look at my Amazon orders the past four or five months, since we started, you know, really digging into a lot of these YouTube things, it's like tents, knives, um, a rucksack, headlamps, you know, it's all this stuff. And, And it's because, um, you know, when I go to, when I go to YouTube or when I go to Google or I go to Amazon, these things are floating around as ads and I'm like, Oh, that's a good deal. I'm going to click on that. I'm going to buy it. Cause I want to be like them in that YouTube video. Yeah. But yeah. And, and I think that the, you know, the part of it that is so sinister is there's a part of that that makes our online experience very convenient because it's customizable. We don't even have to like think about what it is we want it's sped it's fed to us mm-hmm. now here's what it is you want right yeah. yeah and so that's the part of it that i think we so often play into it but where it becomes sinister is when it's like a frog being boiled in water where mm-hmm. before long we forget that we're not even thinking for ourselves anymore we're having an ai system and an algorithm think for us and so when it comes to buying stuff i mean that's that's one part of it right like 
I wouldn't have thought about, hey, I needed this specific survivalist hatchet until this ad floated. And I said, oh, I need that, <laughs> right? <laughs> mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite, I want that. Yeah. Um, but what makes that especially sinister is when, like, and I know this is a very misunderstood phrase, but it's a very real phenomena when fake news stories pop up mm-hmm. that are fed to us and and we would never even have known of it mm-hmm. because it's not real or if it is real, it's highly, highly, highly doctored and manipulated to have a spin on it. That's fed to us. And so <clears throat> it almost is taking up real estate in our mind that is completely unnecessary. Yeah. And, and so what happens is we get outraged and we get basically misled and manipulated into thinking a certain way that we would not have thought had it not been for this AI system influencing us <laughs> to yeah. think a certain way. And that's that to me is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and I think once it's out there, let's say an, an event is spun a certain way and it's clipped down to where you only see a certain aspect of it and then it's put out on social media, there's no retracting that. There's no... no I mean, you may get 10% of those people to, to oh, wow, okay, yeah, I, I believed it the wrong way. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you can start you can start a whole movement, a whole war with just a, one piece of bad information that you want to use to manipulate people. And Absolutely. you just put it out there and you're like, it's like wildfire and people bite it. And mm-hmm. just um, that's, that's the really scary part to me is that um, it's like a tinderbox box. But I was I was thinking about last night. I was like um, thinking about advertising, and the whole point they're talking in this um, this uh, documentary is is advertising. And so now these algorithms create a mode of advertising that is like, you know, kind of like a hellfire missile. It's so it's so pinpoint exact, and it's the dream of any advertiser, the dream of any business to be able to take um, to take a product and market it to the exact right person, and to you know they're they're already glued to a device and so then you promote this product and um but i was thinking last night about the the evolution of advertising hmm. and if you look at the earliest forms of advertising it may have just been in ancient times a person standing out front of their shop or their marketplace screaming you know <laughs> here i have this and they may have some samples yeah. or something like that and then it, it evolved down to like a sign maybe on the side of a road and then um an ad maybe like in a publication or a newspaper and so it's very broad. It's very um, uh, unexact, right? It's just putting it out there for everybody to see. Um, and then you may drive drive down the road and you see a billboard on the side of the road. It's still it's still it's just like mass amounts of people driving by and looking at this. And you know, I don't want to go to Ron John Surf Shop, like you know, but it's there, you know. And um, mm-hmm. but there are people who are driving down that road that do. So it's still very unexact. And then you got a TV commercial, and now we can change channels. So. I may be watching um, Grit, you know, and I see, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm 70 years old, and I'm going to see a commercial about hearing aids. So it's a little bit more exact, right? right? And you can actually begin to change the channels and see, based on the time of day, ads that are catered to people who would more likely be watching at those times of day. And then you get into internet ads. So when I'm, you know, on Fox News or CNN or whatever, I'm going to see ads that kind of appeal to me. But the most exact type of ad they were talking about is these algorithmic ads that 
pop up while you're on a social media platform. And like I said, they are like the hellfire missile of advertising because they have created this profile of who you are and they know exactly the, they know your purchasing habits. They know your lifestyle. And these advertisers come along and say, oh, Gabe Rutledge, he's more than likely going to buy that hatchet. So let's pop the ad in there. And then Facebook says, okay, I know, I know who would, you know, more than likely buy this product. So let's just pump these things out to these, these particular profiles, these particular avatars. And that's, that's terrifying in a way. But yeah, like you said, it's ultimately, they said in the, the, the moral dilemma of it all is, is it okay that these are influencing our behaviors? Yeah. And I think that one of the things that the documentary pinpoints is the people that really got into, um, the machine of how these things are built and how these things are marketed when they got deep enough into this, they realized this is unethical. Right. And, and so that makes it like, as we're watching, we're like, okay, so if we really knew what they knew, would we get off all of our social media? Mm. Right. I mean, would we Mm -hmm. even go off the grid if we knew what they knew? Mm -hmm. Um, and here's the part that I thought was fascinating. You remember the part where it said that, um, you know how your Google auto-populates? What they were saying about Google is, um, you know, you type in, you go to google.com and you type in um, climate change is, and then it'll auto-populate yep. uh, a recommended search uh, for you. Like Google change is, depending on where you're at in the country, a hoax or climate change is, um, you know, destroying the globe or something like that. And right. so that, that to me, because we, it's kind of scary because we think of Google as just kind of this... Um, a moral um, just entity that you you're gonna get just an objective you know search result. I mean I don't I don't think I'm not naive enough to think that, but a lot of people right. do, and they go under the guise of like you know you type in you type in uh, a question to Google and it's just gonna give you you know just the straight up answer and there's no um, manipulation of that information whatsoever. But um, clearly there is according to these these people in the documentary who used to work for Google. And that that right. to me is is kind of kind of frightening well and it's so crazy how i mean even that issue of climate change you bring that up and how you feel about climate change has everything to do with your politics which i mean Mm -hmm. if we stop and thought about that for just a second right like just just put a put your political lens aside for a second and just think about what if the environment that we're living in what if i'm not saying it is what if this climate that we're living in is actually changing and we had something to do with it right yeah we would want to know the truth of that so we could do something about it but what if it's not Mm. changing and we're being told that it is so that like these renewable energy companies can um exploit us and get money from us right so that's what's at stake with it but i think what's so hard is instead of us thinking objectively about it Mm mm-hmm we just latch on to one particular side of that, you know, either it's a complete hoax. It doesn't exist. There's nothing to be said about the world changing at all or, Oh my gosh, like it's a hot day today. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we pulled out of the, you know, the, the Paris accord. <laughs> That's why it's a hot day today. Right. And it's like, <laughs> man, can, can we just think objectively about this a little bit? Why is it that we're so, and, and the reason we're so influenced by it is obviously because of this, this is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, and so what's at stake through all of this is truth. That's what's at stake. 
And yeah. and that's the thing that, you know, our society for a long time has played fast and loose with the idea of truth mm-hmm. and truth being absolute versus truth being relative. And so I think that like as, as Bible-believing Christians, we've got to get back to an understanding that truth is not just whatever it is I want to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Truth is not what my tribe says is true, right? So if I voted Republican for the last 10 elections and all of my Republican friends think climate change is a myth, therefore I must think climate change is a myth or I'm not believing what is true. Like truth doesn't care if there's an R or a D in front of your name at the ballot box. Truth is truth. Right. Yeah. Truth is unchanging. It's absolute and it's universal. Yeah. That's, that's one of the problems I have kind of communicating to my students who are mostly generation Z is that when number one, the truth is absolute. And if it's a truth for me, that means it has to be a truth for you and it has to be a truth for the cashier at Walmart. You know, it's, and it's hard for them to really wrap their minds around that because in, in their culture in the generation Z culture is that truth is completely subjective and it's completely relative based on the individual, based on the people group, based on the subculture. And so like, um, we were just talking, we actually had a, a, a guest speaker come in from a local, um, pregnancy care center. And her goal is to convince pregnant women not to kill their babies. Right. And that's mm-hmm. straightforward goal. She's, she's going to do everything possible to try to convince that, that, that young lady that that is a innocent human being in her womb. And yeah, we were talking in my class about, you know, she asked the question, um, it, you know, she's like, I'm going to ask you guys, is it morally wrong to kill an innocent human being a hundred percent of the time? And the room's like silent. Oh gosh. Like they're, they're processing that. And I'm just like, yes, that is morally wrong to kill an innocent human being anytime. And it was like, wow, this is, they, you know, because they're not, they're not used to being presented with these moral absolute definitive statements like that and being able and having the courage and the boldness to make a decision on it and say emphatically, yes, it is wrong because that's what they're saying in the documentary. We have, we have less people. Um, it was, it was talking the statistics of, of people uh, getting driver's license of marrying, of trying new things, of doing all these, like we're actually creating more cowards who are scared of more stuff through all of these social media platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. I, and I, I think one of the things that people are scared of is emphatically stating truth and standing their ground on it. Well, it's because this, if I, uh, and I've said this to a couple of people, I cannot say what it is I really think about any of these issues through my social media. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Um, I don't know why, because people would because scoff you? It, no, because, well, because of that, but instantaneously, if I actually got online, um, the night of the debate and actually typed out my true thoughts on the election, here's what would happen. Uh, there would be people within my church that would get deeply offended. Their pastor would think something differently than they would about certain things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would get labeled as something that I actually am not. And it would prohibit me from being able to speak God's word with credibility to them when they came to my church on a Sunday, because in their mind, it would be a non-negotiable for their pastor to think differently politically than they do. Yeah. And I, and I think that's so sad. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's where uh, we really need to do an episode on commercialism in the church, because I think that's where we treat church like we would 
a movie on Netflix or like we would hundred percent um, a car that we're shopping for. Yep. We commercialism has crept into how we do our how we do church mm-hmm. and how we choose a church. Um, and, and yeah, I think we we long lost are the the days when we look at a pastor, an elder as spiritual authority and and where they can speak correction and you stick you stick around right because that's yeah. all you got you know well, that's well now it's very much like i felt um man when we first came back in june started having services in person i simply made the statement our first service back i said guys we need to be really really careful because just because of what you've experienced through this crazy time with COVID and with everything going on with BLM and everything else, like just because it's what you experienced, that doesn't mean that's what everybody else has experienced. Mm-hmm. So we got to be really careful to put out these huge, broad statements about these certain things, because man, how you felt about this is different than how someone else has felt. about it. And when I was specifically saying, I didn't say it, but what I was implying is you can't go online and say, Hey, COVID-19 is nothing. It's just the flu. When the same person sitting across the aisle from you lost a family member to COVID-19, mm-hmm. right? So COVID-19 didn't imp- impact you. It didn't influence you at all because like, you know, it's in your mind, it's just like the flu. Well, the person that's worshiping a couple aisles down from you, they lost a family member and they're, they're like deeply, deeply concerned about it. And so like, yeah, I just said that statement. I didn't go into specifics. I just said, how you feel about it is not how everybody feels about it. So we need to like practice some grace so we can be united as a church. Gabe, I got hate mail for that statement. Mm. I got somebody that went on our YouTube channel and started leaving me comments like, um, you are a leftist. Oh, wow. Like telling me that I was a closet liberal and that everything I was saying, I was prepping our congregation for me to be liberal and like to endorse all these liberal causes and i'm <laughs> and when i wow. read the comments i'm like are you serious like how is it that me like encouraging our congregation to be united mm-hmm. and not tribalistic and to to like do what the bible says like dwell with each other in understanding how is that me yeah. being liberal are you serious because we've we've politicized these 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 stances are now politically charged unfortunately where yeah, like the idea of wearing a mask, right, is now yeah. um, a political issue, um, and that's that's part of all this is like you know this this algorithm and this culture that we're in, and we as humans we love to go tribal, and we love to team up with people who agree with us, um, and yeah, that's that's the sad part is, and you know we we because commercialism has crept into the church and how we do church and how we do this community thing um, with our with with our faith. Um, we throw off the notion that, you know, an elder is, is, um, kind of, kind of a, a source of correction, a source of encouragement, a source of doctrine. And, you know, they're going to teach me the word of God. I'm not saying that you should like, you know, idolize them or anything like that, but because the market, so to speak, is oversaturated with churches and they all, there's all kinds of different, you know, it's, it's basically churches in America right now are in a state of like, um, kind of like a cold war of like an, mm-hmm. an, um, an arms race, I guess you could say of who has the best, this and the best that. And, yep. and so now the goal is to try to sell people a product and they, they, they buy that product. So they're, 
many times they're coming there because of the worship is really good or they're coming mm-hmm. there because the teaching is really good or they're coming there because they have a really good kids ministry. They're not but, coming there to say, I need this community. I right. my faith is hinging on the involvement in this community. Therefore, so, so the I'm second, going to stick yeah, around. So the second the pastor says something they don't like, mm-hmm. the second the worship isn't exactly what they want, the second the kids ministry doesn't cater to their needs, they can push away from the table and they can find another church that caters exactly yeah. to what it is they want to consume. Yeah, so you just go to a different church dealership, right? And you just absolutely. And and we even have this phrase: "I'm shopping for a new church," or "I'm 100%, looking." Yep. Yeah, and that's. And, and here's the sad part: is then what ends up happening is you get echo chambers within the Christian community mm-hmm. of pastors that come together and throw out red meat with sermons that aren't really convicting uh, the people in the room to live a life of holiness and discipline, following the way of Jesus, but rather. Mm-hmm pointing out these huge societal evils that everybody that's a Christian agrees with, right? Yeah. And and basically like preaching to the people that aren't in the room and everybody that's in the room is like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all those people out there, <laughs> right? And, and man, I've had so many people, you know, come to me over the years and say like, well, why won't you talk more about politics in your sermon? Why won't you, you know, um, speak more about the evils out of the world? And I'm like, man, I... I do talk about abortion. I am pro-life 100% because the mm-hmm. Bible is pro-life. You know, I, I, but, I, but I said, like, listen, the evil that we need to be dealing with is not primarily the evil on Capitol Hill. The evil that we need to be dealing with is the evil inside of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it becomes so much easier for us to simply sit in a pew and listen to a pastor rant and rave about all the bad people out there and give them a thumbs up and amen him instead of us coming to church with our Bibles open saying, I want to look into the word of God and the law of God and let it shape me and form me and prune mm-hmm. me and cut me so I can become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so much of how we understand church has been influenced by how we understand reality, which has been influenced by things like social media and things like news media in general, just telling us what it is we want to hear. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it's, it's John 10, the thief comes Mm -hmm. only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And I want to go back to the concept of time because I always say this is our most valuable commodity that's been given to us, you know, above money, above our children, above our marriage. It's like our, it's our time. And what we do with it and how we give it back is huge. And that's what he wants the most of us. So if something comes along and it's stealing that commodity from us, then it's of the enemy. I mean, bottom line, it's just of the enemy. And, um, I, I, you know, it's I, I often encounter um, men especially. I think men are more susceptible to this than, than, than women are. But they, they get really engaged in unraveling the deep mysteries of fill in the blank right you know of Q- of QAnon. yeah yeah or of <laughs> yeah or or of yeah just fill in the blank right the shape of the earth <laughs> no something like that but I it's like i really think you're flat earther I think <laughs> but it's things that are completely inconsequential number one to being a disciple of christ and number two to to being a good husband number three being a good father or grandfather yeah. and you look at things that are going on behind the scenes when you know all of that 
displays a great deal of dysfunction. But boy, do they have all those deep things figured out. And they will, they will at a moment's notice, be glad to preach to you about them. And it's uh, like, it, wait it, a second. It becomes a, it, that's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Because, I mean, all of that basically is distracting from mm-hmm. who it is that we really need to be as disciples. I mean, it becomes a lot easier to sit around with a bunch of people and sip coffee and talk about all these other folks that have got it completely wrong. But, I mean, I know now. I know the truth. I'm not like all these yeah. sheep. I know the truth. Instead of going, you know what? In my marriage, I'm really blowing it right now, man. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just I have not been able to really love my wife and care for my wife right now. I need I need some prayer. Or like I'm, you know, brother, I'm really struggling with with my purity right now. I, yeah. I need some prayer. I need some accountability. Like I'm I'm really I don't have it all together with that. Um, that's hard. That's that's vulnerability. And yeah, you know, that's turning the lens back on ourselves. And and I think and. I'll just ask you, I mean, do you think we're really open to truth or do we just want to hear things that we want to be true? Hmm. That is a tough question. Um, no, I think, I think truth has to really slap us in the face to wake us up. Um, I think it really has to like take our legs out from under us for us to be open to it. I think we have to get to a point where we are, um, we, we have to really look at our true self in the mirror and say, wow, um, I've been, I've been fooling myself. And, um, and that, that, that's some hard moments. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think we are naturally just completely open to hard truth. Um, yeah, but I think, and I think we also need to learn once we do accept truth, we need to learn how to communicate it in an effective way to those around us because we can communicate truth in a way that actually turns it into mistruth. Well, you know, this has been a fascinating thing for me and you could probably speak to more to this, but, um, Jesus of all of the different sects and subgroups of Judaism mm-hmm. probably was mostly aligned with the Pharisees, mm-hmm. right? In terms of how they practice the, the faith. Yeah. I mean, you would know more about this than I would, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, but you're correct. here's what's so fascinating. One of Jesus's greatest enemies in all the gospels was the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And the ones, so, the ones that he, he rebuked the most. It was the Pharisees, right? Yeah. So it wasn't that the Pharisees weren't right. It's that the way that they lived out that truth and communicated that truth and what they focused on, they focused more on being right than what those uh, truths were meant to do and those truths were meant to be used as ways to worship and connect with God and love the people around them. Yeah. And so there's a way in which we can be right in terms of we're we're believing the right kind of things, we're we're completely factual or we're completely biblical, but because we're not seeing that biblical truth as a way in which to connect to God and use it to love the people around us, we're missing something. Yeah, yeah. He seems to really take issue, not with um, the the outward show of piety so much, but without the inward circumcision of the heart to really back it up and like in matthew 23 it says then jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples the teachers of the law and the pharisees sit in moses's seat so you must be careful to do everything they tell you but don't do what they do for they do not practice what they preach they tie up heavy and cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them and Mm. yeah so like the doctrine it seems like the doctrine of the pharisees was was good it was all good to go like you know right. but their example of it and their 
motivation behind it and the motivation between behind walking it out was completely wrong and that's oftentimes what he called them out on um and, so the motivation yeah. being i'm right and you're wrong <laughs> yeah like you know in matthew yeah. 6 he talks about how um you know don't don't parade your acts of righteousness in front of men mm-hmm. or to be seen by them and if you do you have no reward from your father in heaven um and when you give charity don't announce it with trumpets in order to win men's praise like the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets in other words he's saying you know give charity but don't do it in order to be seen by men he says when you give charity don't let your left hand know what right. your right hand is doing so it'll be done in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret he will reward you do, do, do you think that tribalism that we have right now mm-hmm. is a source of pride for people in that my tribe is right your tribe is wrong mm-hmm and if I believe this about mask, or I believe this about global warming, or I believe this about X issue, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on the right side of history, and you're not. Yeah, well, I think it's capitalizing on our on our tendency to be prideful um, organisms, but also it's it's capitalizing on this drug that emits in our brains a natural drug called dopamine. So when when we're in a Facebook debate with someone, and we keep getting those notifications, we keep reading those, we get this like amphetamine surge right and um then then when we when we prove them wrong or someone likes our comments more than their comments on this thread it releases dopamine the same drug that's released you know it's like the the pleasure drug right it's a highly addictive drug and it's it's supposed to be there it's a good drug but not the levels that you would get you know while watching pornography or or interacting with someone or getting likes on social media so yeah these these algorithms know about dopamine and that's the scary part is that they right. are capitalizing on this this pleasure drug that God has put in our brains. And that, that's that's terrifying to me. Yeah, it is, um, it's sad too. It's it's sad to think about what that's done to our our ability to interact with people who think differently than we do on certain things. Yeah. And it and it's created what the documentary said the most polarized American society that we've had since the Civil War. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking last night, what if there was a social media platform that came along that there was a disclaimer, if you ever start this this account, you can never delete it. <laughs> How many people would jump on it? Like it's the best, the, the, the baddest, the, the most engaging, um, social media platform it has all these bells and whistles that uh, it outdoes how many people would jump on it if you can you can never delete it you can never get off it yeah so, yeah so you can be on this but it's going to cost you your soul yeah yeah like it's going to follow you around everywhere you go and the rest of your life you have this social and and um i, I i'm i'm thinking that a lot of people would probably jump on it because we're so yeah. you know i don't know we just don't think about a year from now let alone um, 10 years from now, what, sure. what decisions yeah. we make right now, how they impact our lives. Yeah. Well, hey, let's talk about truth for a little bit. Let's, mm-hmm. let's land the plane, talk about truth and talk about freedom. So what we said is truth is not just whatever it is I agree with, right? It's not what the majority of my tribe says it's true. It's not what what works for me or what's the most understandable. Um, truth is that which corresponds to reality. Mm-hmm. So that which is actual, that which is real, regardless of how whatever news network I tend to like agrees with and what it says about it. Um, truth is that which matches its object. In other words, truth is what is personable and applicable. And truth is 
that which speaks to what is obvious. It doesn't veil it. It doesn't keep it manipulated. It doesn't um, change based on my perspective. (laughs) And I think when we encounter truth, real truth, which Jesus talks about how when we know the truth, it will set us free. We, we really are at a crossroads when we encounter something that we see as actual truth. We can either redesign it, um, and I think that that's something we see a lot of people do, redesigning God's truth, right? God's truth that speaks to things that maybe we don't like. So human sexuality, we have a whole generation that has redesigned God's truth about human sexuality and said that there are portions of scripture that just are completely, well, it says this, but that's not what it means, right? So we've redesigned it. Um, The truth that those who don't know Christ will be judged for their sin and be separated from God for all eternity. Whole groups of people who've redesigned that and said, well, the the Bible says that, but that's not, that's not what that means. Right. And so like, um, that's something I think we do all the time. We, we try to redesign it. We try to make it palatable. We try to say, well, I, I know this is this, but that's not that. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you see that happening? I mean, I, obviously we do this with the truth of God, but we do this with a lot of things that we may not be comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, I think my, my first reaction is just to ignore it um, and not, not broach the subject or just not even look into it because I'm scared of the outcome of it. Um, so just to silence it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I would just do that too. I would just turn yeah. it off. Yeah. So if something makes me feel uncomfortable, I just kind of avoid it um, and not really dig into it, because the the fear of the the unknown is is a powerful force. Is there a fear? I think as humans that we're, we'll be wrong. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that we'll have to change something about our yeah. habits. Yeah. Yeah. So we could redesign it. I think that's one of the things we do with truth when we don't like it, or we silence it, mm-hmm. uh, which. Uh, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson gives us a very interesting example of this. So Thomas Jefferson had his own version of the Bible. He edited his Bible to make it more uncomplicated. Mm -hmm. And by that, he removed virtually all of the miraculous events that were recorded in the gospel. And so in his Bible, and you can actually see it at Monticello, um, he literally took scissors to it. Mm. And so all of the accounts of Jesus's miracles, the deity of Christ, the story of Jesus's resurrection, they're completely absent. Mm. And I think that's pretty telling of the nature of humanity. Yeah. If there's things about our world, if there's things about God, if there's things about just reality we don't like, sometimes we just stick our heads in the sand. We're just not gonna not gonna go there, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't want to hear that because that's gonna make me have to change who I am. Um, and then another thing we do when we encounter truth is we dispute it. We can basically just go toe to toe with it and say, no, that's not true. Even though reality says it is true. And a lot of times what we do is we, we, we dispute what is obvious and what is true simply because we don't like the fact that it is true. And I mm-hmm. think we're seeing this in the age of COVID-19 and pandemics and things like that. There's a lot of people that are going toe to toe with what is being peddled to us as true and again, like we said, it's hard to know what's true right now, but I always 
question like, okay, so why are we disputing this truth? Are we disputing this truth because we don't want it to be true? Are we mm. disputing this truth because we're genuinely doubting if it is true? Yeah. So what's at stake for us as individuals when we play fast and loose with this idea of truth? Well, I think I think it's a kind of a slippery slope because yeah, no no civilization is uh, sustainable unless it all has it's it's bound together by common core values. And I, I really see that in the United States right now that we are all um, kind of kind of operating off of different and ever diverging moral compasses and moral convictions. And I don't know that that's going to take us to a good place as a nation that we're becoming so polarized both both in in what is true and what is not true and what is what is biblical, what is not biblical. And um, without that foundation of moral principles and common moral um, values I, I don't I don't think a civilization is by any stretch uh, sustainable whatsoever yeah well I mean we could there's a lot we could do with truth right we could redesign it we could dispute it we mm -hmm. could silence it or we could just receive it and yeah. receiving the truth might require us admitting that I've been wrong about how I've thought about this or might, you know, it might involve us saying, man, I'm just, I just missed it. I just didn't, I was totally wrong. I thought about it this way and then I saw the truth and, and really the, um, idea of repentance is that when we see Jesus for who he is and we see the truth of God's word and what it involves, it involves us humbling ourselves and admitting, Hey, I'm wrong. That's part yeah. of what repentance is. Right. Um, and, and honestly, that's, that's dangerous because that may change how we view ourselves. That may change how we view others. That may expose what we actually find valuable to be meaningless. That may reveal that we've been in the wrong and that might require us to change. And Jesus said in John three twenty, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. Like there's a part of us in our fallen state that actually does not like truth mm -hmm. because we're afraid of what it's going to say about us. Mm, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I, I like what Paul says in First Thessalonians five. Uh, I'm trying to remember what verse it is, but he says, um, uh, "You know, test everything, but hold on." Here, here it is. First, First Thessalonians five twenty. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And we see that play out with this group of Jews in a city called Berea in Acts 17. It says, Now the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, but they examined the scriptures every day to see if yes. the teachings were true. And as a result, many of them believed, along with quite a few prominent Greek women and men. So in other words, they weren't noble because they just accepted it blindly. They were noble because they tested the scriptures. That's right. You know, day after day, every day, and then they accepted it as true. And I think that's kind of kind of the stance that we need to take is we need to to hold something loosely and say, is this true? Is this not true? Let's just let's put it on the shelf right now. Let's examine scripture. Let's examine history. Um, you know, let's let's go through every every kind of reference point that we have, and then 
either take it back down off the shelf and throw it away or take it back on the shelf and apply it to our lives. hundred percent. And I think, I think to do that, honestly, we have to be honest with ourselves and be highly suspicious of our own biases. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think anytime there's a passage of scripture I'm studying, what question I always have to ask myself is, Hey, there's, I, I want this to say something. And I have to be really suspicious of that before I even open my Bible and begin to study this. Because mm. if I want this to say something and then I read it, I'm going to find what it is I want to find if I'm starting with a premise and an idea. Yeah. yeah. What do, I mean, we, we discussed that in the past, like exegesis versus eisegesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it's that, it's that same principle that applies to almost everything in reality, right? We got to be highly mm-hmm. suspicious of, you know, hey, I want to believe this about COVID-19. I want to believe this about global warming, but just because I want to believe this about X topic, that doesn't mean that's true. <laughs> right. And so I've got to be highly suspicious of my own biases before I read it. And I think it's so interesting, the connection we see in the Bible between freedom and truth. John eight thirty two, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So true biblical freedom is not simply the ability to believe anything we want to believe or to do anything we want to do. Biblical freedom is the fact that because we know truth, because we know Christ, we've been set free from deception. Mm-hmm. And we've been set free from the law of sin and death. And that God's law is written on our hearts through the Spirit of God. And so now we're free to follow and serve Him because He is the truth. And uh, so often we, we forget that once we start with Jesus, the truth, and, and he becomes the lens that we see the world through. Yeah. Um, so many other things become so less, so much less important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it, it all goes back to this idea of um, the, the, the currency of your life. Um, you know, is, is the time. And like I said, every, every thing that our enemy does is, is, is a form of theft and every sin that we can commit is a form of theft. Um, and if we're constantly giving away that gift to other people, then there's not a lot left that he can steal from us. It's kind of the way I look at it. Um, and that, that right there is so freeing. Um, and, and it's important to remember too, that Every system of our enemy, see, our, the goal of our enemy is not only to steal us, but to enslave us as well, right? And and to to prevent us from living obedient lives. And so he will put the shackles right back on, just like the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. It's like they they were constantly tempted to go back into slavery um, because they had the security and they had the validation of you know other people around them and, and doing all this. And they they wanted, they longed. To become slaves at certain points which is just so sad yeah. and they didn't want the freedom that comes along with just completely relying on god's providence for their lives and and walking into that promise that he he provided for them yeah but we do the same thing i mean any, anything that controls us is our master i mean we we want to go back into slavery time and time again mm-hmm. but yeah i think it's so interesting when jesus i can't remember you could probably tell me chapter and verse he starts talking to his uh he's talking to the people of israel about freedom and slavery and all this stuff and they say well we've never been slaves we've always been free and it's like are, are you serious do you know the history of the people of israel you guys are living under roman occupation right now 
Yeah. And before that, you were exiles in Babylon. And before that, you were, you know, and so it's like, what happens is so often we don't even know we're a slave to something. Yeah, and that, and that, and that the greatest slave master can pull that off, right? The, yeah. the smartest slave master can pull. That's 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 ultimate, right? Is like you can you can have someone as a slave and and not let them, not allow them realize they that, they're a, that they're a slave. Yeah. Right. So if social media controls us, we're slave to it. Mm-hmm. If a certain political or ideological persuasion or tribe controls us to where we can't even think clearly about a certain thing that comes across our news story, we just think whatever it is our tribe thinks, we're a slave to that tribe. Um, if the opinions or validations of other people control us, then we're a slave to what other people say about us. Whether yeah. they like that selfie or they like that comment that we put up that's super witty and pithy or, or whatever. But God doesn't want us to be slaves, obviously. He wants us to be bond servants of Christ. He doesn't mm-hmm. want us to be slaves to these other things. Yeah. Uh, Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So there's a way in which we're not being who God has called us to be when we're enslaved to these things and we're not able to live in freedom that Christ has for us. Yeah, and, and you know Romans 6, Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed for the outcome of those things is death but now having been freed from slavery to sin and now enslaved to god you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification the outcome of eternal life in other words you're slave to something why don't you just be a slave to the one that gives you eternal life and you know in the jewish faith they kind of pick up on this the idea of the world is trying to constantly entrap you and, and, and pull you back into slavery. And there's a saying that goes with, you know, the, one of the most um, highest core principles of, of Judaism is keeping the Sabbath, right? Keeping it holy. And um, there's a saying, I can't remember which rabbi it's attributed to, that says, if you keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath will keep you. Mm-hmm. Meaning you won't allow yourself to slip back into slavery to something other than, other than your creator. Because wow. you're taking that 24 hours as a, I call it a place marker in your freedom. It's a, it's a stopgap. Awesome. You know, it's like you're not going, you're, it's 24 hours to recognize that you're, I mean, just think about it. Like God pulls a bunch of slaves out of slavery and then he gives them mandates they take a day off. And he's mm-hmm. like, here, this is the Sabbath. Take it, keep it, guard it. This will keep you free. Um mm-hmm. And just just the concept of that, it's so it's so revolutionary at that time yeah. to give a bunch of slaves a day off, you know, sure. and to require that of them. Well, and speaking of which, I think it's important for us to, with this thing called social media, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I obviously feel like it takes a tremendous amount of prayer and fasting mm-hmm. and wisdom to know what our relationship with social media should be as we know more about what is actually doing to us and how it's designed. But I think there is something to be said for taking Sabbaths mm-hmm. from anything related to media. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're going over a book right now as a staff. Um, it's called Faith in Exile. Hmm. It's an amazing book talking about digital Babylon. But one of the things that I really have gleaned from that book is it talks about digital Sabbaths. So one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year going completely mm. off the grid in terms nice. of your digital interaction. I've been trying to do that and um, 
And it's amazing how much more clearly I feel like I can be present for my wife and my children when I'm able to do that. So, yeah. And I think, you know, just practically speaking for those who are wondering, well, what's like the practical application of all this? What do I do with all this information? Throw away your TV. Yeah. I think it's, if Flip you phones. are, if you're recognizing you're addicted to something, quit it cold turkey. Like you need Absolutely. to stop, right? Yep. You need to, you just need to stop and give yourself an extended period of time. They say it takes about 18 weeks to break an addiction, being cold turkey from something go downgrade to a flip phone, do whatever you got to do. Turn the internet off of your home. You know, if it's a pornography addiction, move the, move the laptop out into the living room with your desk and everything, you know, do some drastic things to, to produce some drastic results. But for those who are just, maybe you're not addicted to it, but you're realizing that maybe you're mismanaging your time a little bit. Then what I say is all things in moderation, set some clear boundaries for yourself and leave your phone down in the kitchen every night on the charger you know, eight o'clock at night, we're leaving our phones on the charger and we're going up to bed yep. or, or whatever, n- not having those things at the dining room table and cutting, setting these clear articulated boundaries for you and your family. Um, and so in other words, I'm not saying go to the extreme. Don't, don't right. become Amish or anything like that. Just, just practice moderation, practice simple boundaries in your life. And, um, yeah, at the same time, conversely set apart times in your life, delineate times in your life where you're intentionally studying and memorizing scripture, where you're intentionally just sitting down and playing a board game or a card game or whatever with your family, or you're intentionally going out on a date with your spouse and setting apart those times Mm -hmm. and not allowing anything to invade that time and that, that tabernacle and time you could call it. Yeah. I think is is really important. Just having oh, a balance. Ba- the life of balance is so important for absolutely. disciples. Absolutely, I think that's super super helpful. Well, let's talk about this one last thing before we sign off. Like, what's the most responsible and discern discerning and wise way to consume media? So, in other words, when when there is a news story like the one we saw this morning break, mm-hmm. how, what's the most responsible way to actually get the truth? when we understand that man news sources are highly monetized and they're relying on their fan base to click on them because so they're going to put a spin on it that caters yeah. to whatever fan base. like how do we actually find out what's true can you speak to that for just a second yeah we well i think kind of like kind of like we just did this morning i went to cnn which i know has a certain political leaning i went to fox news which i know has another political so recognizing the bias in these different outlets is number one yeah recognizing that they're not going to give you the complete unadulterated truth. They're gonna they're going to be pushing their their particular directions, and then and then coming to the middle and saying and just like I told you after we looked at those two outlets, I said it, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle between those two. Yeah, he's probably experiencing mild symptoms or you know even intense symptoms, but he's probably okay. You know, right? It's, right, right. It's right. not the end of the world. He's probably not going to die i mean i i just god forbid i don't i don't want him to die but you know it's 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 yeah. probably going to be okay um it's probably somewhere in the middle so you read the two extremes i think because that's really all there are available right now to us unfortunately and then you say it's probably somewhere in the middle that's kind of right. what i do and i think we should be really comfortable using the phrase hey i don't know yeah 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 there's a lot of people that, that will come to me and ask like hey what do you think about this situation we think about and honestly sometimes i've just said you know what i i don't think i have enough information to speak intelligently about that oh no you can't do that you can't (laughs) (laughs) that's no that's a really good that's a really good line i don't have enough information to form an accurate opinion on that topic yeah and that's okay yeah and period you leave it at that yeah man well i think we've i think we've solved every issue related to uh 
social media. I think because of us and this podcast, never again shall people have any news fed to them that is inaccurate. We fixed yeah. fake news. And I want to encourage people to really to watch the social dilemma on yes. online. You can buy the DVD, I think, and you can it's it's online. You can stream it from different sources. But it is um it's it's powerful. And I, I, I am going to set up a public showing at our congregation for it soon. Um, for parents to watch because it's it's powerful you know it's it's coming from a secular standpoint so there's a lot of darwinian evolution and you know the brain is evolving over millions of years so you got to kind of chew up the meat and spit out the bones on that kind of stuff but still the information is very profitable and and i'll be setting up a a public showing for it absolutely really really good stuff so well gabe appreciate it man thank you for this our your wisdom well 12th episode this is our 14th 14th wow i know man Crazy. Uh, Crazy well, I hope time. everyone's uh, digging it so far and yeah. enjoying them as much as we enjoy recording these and making these. You know what they say, time flies when you have a beard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an old Yiddish, Yiddish saying. <laughs> That's my sugar nut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that just means crazy, right? Yes. That's hilarious. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Stay salty, my friends. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.